Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello, and welcome to this EM360 podcast. I'm Scott Taylor, the Data Whisperer, and I'm delighted to be your host for this podcast series. I'm the principal consultant at MetaMeta Consulting. We help organizations tell their data story by reinforcing the strategic value of proper data management. In this podcast, I'll be welcoming back Paul McKay, EMEA Cloud Lead at Cloudera, who joined us on episode one and episode seven. For this episode today, we'll be talking about how Cloudera Data Platform, CDP, the world's first enterprise data cloud, is driving business transformation with cloud-native data and analytics. Using examples from major banks, telcos, manufacturers, and more, Paul will explain some of the use cases that are currently being delivered on CDP. Hello, Paul. Great to have you back again. Hey, Scott. Thanks very much for having me. Pleasure as always. A big three-peat for you, three episodes, you're setting a new record. So uh, in order to set the scene for our whole discussion here, what is a CDP and what makes it so unique? Yeah, so let's let's do a little recap, right? So um, CDP, the Cloudera Data Platform, is based upon four basic fundamental principles. The first one is that you should be able to deliver data and analytics wherever you want to, whether that is in your data center, in something that looks and feels like a private cloud, whether that is in a public cloud, whether that's AWS, Google, or Azure, or more and more commonly, if you want to do it across those locations in a hybrid model, for most organizations, it's simply not possible to pick up all of their data sets and workloads and move them to a public cloud. And so having the ability to consistently interact with their data analytics across those locations and move workloads between those locations is critical. The second part is that CDP allows you to deliver end-to-end use cases. And actually, we're going to talk about some of those here today, right? So from within the platform, I can do data streaming. I can also do data engineering. I can do data warehouse. I can do some operational DB stuff, and I can ultimately do some machine learning. And if we think about that pyramid that I think we've talked about before, where there's some basic things you need to do before you get up to that kind of more more forward-thinking AIML stuff, we're going to give you a platform that you can do all of that in. The third thing is that uh, inherently integrated through all of that is security and governance, meaning I have a single place where I can set control on who can access my data, but also where my data's been, all of my metadata, my cataloging, uh, all from within a single part of the platform. And last but not least, CDP is based on uh, openness, and that means two things. One, under the hood is the the open source software delivered uh, that many, many of our listeners or listeners here will be familiar with from the Hadoop ecosystem. But we also leverage open APIs. We use open systems where possible so you can fully integrate into your you know, your enterprise, uh, your enterprise uh, data management process and tools. So super quick, very high level, bit of a recap, but there are the four things that make CDP what it is today. No, fantastic. Deliver data wherever you want to, a platform for end-to-end use cases, integrated security and governance, and it's inherently open. See, I'm learning from you after all these episodes. (laughs) So let's delve into that first use case then. What industry are we focusing on and what was the outcome? Talk about a real customer uh, experience. Yeah, so the first one. So the first use case we're going to talk about uh, is a North American trucking company. So this uh, this particular organization, they have 
uh, different uh, types of trucks that they then sell out or lease out into, uh, you know, global uh, consumers. And so for them, they wanted to start thinking about how can I deliver an even better service on top of the physical truck itself, right, which is obviously a really important part. And so what they wanted to do is they wanted to kind of go through and, and we've talked about using this phrase digital transformation, but I'm going to coin what they said, right? They wanted to go through this digital transformation where they could actually uh, start to think about how could I uh, not only deliver a truck, but how could I deliver a service around that that allows me or the fleet managers that we're selling to to deliver predictive maintenance and also start to do things like effective routing and fueling. And so streaming and collecting data from these trucks. And um, and when I say trucks, we're talking about a couple of hundred thousand that they can then bring into the platform, CDP, that they can then analyze and then they can push back out to those fleet managers that I talked about to do a couple of things. And so what they've done is they've built this platform that allows for a full connected truck experience. And so through uh, telematics, so uh, you know, using third-party tools to kind of collect data and send it back and stream it in real time back to CDP, they're able to do things like uh, remote diagnostics, they can do over-the-air updates, and they can start to do things about fuel and routing. So if we think about the customer's experience to to this truck company, a fleet manager all of a sudden would be able to quickly understand or have insights available to him or her that says, hey, there's a there's been a delay, there's a rerouting issue going on, this truck is not going to make it to where it needs to be, I'm going to take corrective action uh, and I'm going to do something different, either move trucks around or change the routing that allows me to still meet my SLAs uh, that I'm trying to achieve. And so from a tech perspective, very, very heavily driven on, you know, streaming that telematic data, processing it, and then pushing it back out in the form of visualization uh, as a value-added service on top of the truck itself. This, I wouldn't hesitate calling this digital transformation. This is delivering value to their relationships through their brand at scale. This idea of a fully connected truck experience, I think it's a tremendous example. And a lot of value-added services that are based that couldn't be delivered unless you had a, a data platform to support it. So this is this is great stuff. Did they did they have or were they able to share with you some specific ROI advantages of this approach? Yeah, so there was a, you know the, there was a couple of headlines. So the first one was that they wanted the platform's going to support it supports like two hundred thousand trucks today. It's going to scale to a million over the next three years, which is you know, pretty impressive and kind of showing the scalability of CDP, obviously underpinned by how you can, you know, use public cloud, right? Public cloud is there to give us this untapped access to compute and storage resource, and that gives you that scalability. But at the same time, there was uh, some big savings they could make. Part of it was um, around the way that they currently had their workloads and storage set up. So we were actually, by by moving them to CDP, by getting them to leverage the underlying Kubernetes capability that we have with some of our, some of our experiences, uh, they were, they were going to reduce their, their infrastructure service costs by something like $800,000, you know, which is a big, a big decent number. On top of that, there was going to be around $600,000 yearly operating cost savings. So again, this is by moving to a PaaS, so you don't have to water and feed it. You don't have to worry about spending all your time fighting fires and patching because the vendor, in that case, in this case, us, 
does that for you. So there is some big savings to be had, but um, a pretty cool use case, a pretty cool, cool use case. I mean, I think there's efficiency savings, operational efficiency, as you suggested, but there's got to be a tremendous amount of value added, even if it's all softer benefits for the customer experience that they have. Predictive maintenance, shifting loads around, all the things you suggested enhances that experience they've got with their customers. So great, great stuff. It does. And it also like it, you know, if we think about the, that industry and, and, and broader, like automotive, uh, whether that be trucks or like more, like, you know, more everyday cars, it's about, you know, that's going to become the competitive differentiation, right? It's not actually going to be about the vehicle itself. It's going to be about those services. So yeah, we, I, we, we look to, I expect to see much more of this as we move forward the months and years ahead. Great example. Let's take another example here. Um, What's the next one you can talk about to provide us with uh, what's being delivered on the CDP? Yeah, so the next one is a pharmaceutical company. And so when, you know, especially in the kind of the, the time we find ourselves in today, when you say pharmaceutical company, people will, you know, we talk about data analytics, people will automatically probably go to, you know, how important data has been for us in fighting this virus, right? And so how through data analytics and through uh, all of these different organizations globally, uh, they've managed to accelerate vaccines. And we now have like, you know, tens and hundreds of different vaccines, which is fantastic. But this pharmaceutical company, very specifically, they recognize that data was the critical thing for how they look at disease cure and therapies, right? So this is not about how can I build a vaccine or create a vaccine to protect against disease? How can I think about how I can cure that uh, and how I can use therapies to help it? And so to do that, right, there's a, a huge part of that is, is research and development. And so for these guys specif specifically, the research and development department was not really able to respond at the pace it needed to. They were you know, struggling to do some basic things around how their data scientists can kind of access loads of data and start to do the modeling that was going to help them make these kind of, you know, these cures and therapies. And so, uh, and when I think, and when you think about, uh, you know, R&D within a pharmaceutical company, it becomes a lot to do with, you know, trials and tests and all of the different data sets that they have. And if you think about how you would go about defining a cure and a therapy, you're going to need data from like loads of different places, right? You're going to need it from labs, you're going to need it from doctor's notes. You're going to need prescriptions. You're going to need information from the clinical trials, MRIs, surgeries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the problem they had was that they um, had this data, but it was completely dispersed. Like it existed in traditional silos in different parts of the business. And so it was impossible for, a, to, for, for them to have like a consistent you know, one uh, place to go and start to kind of do some more of these deep data and analytical things. And so for them, CDP did a couple of things, right? So one, it allowed them to build a data lake that was able to scale, right? So I, we could, they could just add data into a single place. They could get some basic insights on that data that then allow them to maybe go and do some more of the interesting stuff around machine learning. The second part that they use the platform for was actually for um, when patients were in a trial 
how they could give those patients uh, wearable technology and how they could real-time stream the information coming out of that wearable back into this data lake that then allowed them to make some pretty instant decisions. So, for example, if you're in a trial and you, um, you, know, you are given a drug, you want to obviously know, you know the vitals that are coming out of that. But you probably also really want to know if there's something going wrong. And so uh, this allowed them to kind of really accelerate their R&D, really be able to provide much more deep insights into the data, that the new data they were collecting, and then ultimately um, provide a faster way of them coming up with these disease cures and these disease therapies, which if you go all the way back to the top was you know, how they deliver a competitive differentiation uh, in, a, in a very, very congested, very, very tight, uh, you know, industry sector. So, uh, you know, a couple of different things in there. But again, a really nice story about how they could use the platform to collect data. And before I pause, like when we talk about how much this was actually about how can I take 1000s of data sources, that's uh, roughly around 25 petabytes that had roughly around 20 million unique entries, and then use that to analyze 13 trillion relationships between all of these things to hopefully out at the end come something that uh, will have a huge impact on uh, disease uh, cure and therapies, uh, not just for them, but for globally. 13 trillion relationships, but hey, who's counting? Yeah. Like <laughs> but keeping up the pace of R&D in the pharmaceutical space, I mean, it's like the ultimate human use case if you think of it that way. And time is certainly of the essence when you're trying to find cures. So anything that can speed that process up safely has got to be a big win. Right, right. So talk to us or talk us through the benefits of centralizing data in this case. And, you know, can it apply to other and wider industries? Yes. Like, and we see it kind of, we see it a lot, right? And if I, um, without simplifying it too much, right, but if you go back to that, that pyramid idea we're talking about is that for most organizations, for many organizations, when you have your data separated in these silos, not only do you not have a single consistent view into it, you normally also then have security and governance issues around who can access, who can control, where it's been. And actually bringing all those things together as separate uh, environments is really, really difficult, right? And from a, if you, if we pick, let's take data scientists for an example, if you're trying to build models that start to think about cures and therapies, the thing that powers that is the huge amounts of data that you need to put in to refine those models for those models to get better and for you to go through that iterative process. The only way you can do that is if that data sits in one place. So for these guys, bringing it all together was the first step adding new data sets from that wearables streaming that I talked about, but then using that central data location as a way of starting to deliver more advanced kind of modeling and machine learning was like incredibly critical. You know, it's hard to think of any sector that doesn't want to try and pull all its data together, no matter what it is. I mean, there's the power and the value that you get out of that is documented everywhere. So it would seem like a lot of sectors should be looking at this. You know, you've mentioned this pyramid a couple of times. Could you talk us through that again real quick? Yeah, it's, it's just, if, you know, from a very, very uh, basic perspective that if I have a pyramid and at the top of that pyramid, under the huge, broad paintbrushes, the term AI, that there is absolutely no way that you can go to the top of that pyramid until you've done some basic things underneath. And those basic things include... First of all, collating your data in a single place, 
then doing some basic sorting on your data so that you could look back and retrospectively try and derive value, then starting to use that data to maybe do more data engineering things or warehousing things. So maybe I can take that data and then I can visualize it out. And once you then have the capability to do this and the capability from a technology perspective, but also from a skill set perspective, then you can start to think about moving up the pyramid and start to deliver uh, you know, those more kind of advanced things like modeling and, you know, under that under that broad statement of AI and machine learning. So it's just a way of describing that you can't run before you can walk with many things in life. And it's true with, with data analytics. You don't have that foundation of trusted data at the bottom, then that AI isn't going to be what you think it is. You know, you put bad data into AIs off and say you get AS, artificial stupidity. So it makes a ton of sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. Let's take a use case now from an entirely different sector. What what other story do you have for us? Okay, so the the kind of last use case we're going to touch on um, is from a police force. Uh, so this police force is the second largest in the UK. They they serve around two point eight million citizens. They take two thousand like emergency response calls a day. And they cover this area of like 350 square miles, right? So second biggest force, very, very, very big. And when you have kind of a, a not only a huge area to cover, but you also have a finite amount of resource, which they will do within police officers, the role that data plays in your organization becomes really, really important. Because with any police force, whether you're here in the UK or in the States, it becomes about response times and the actions that you take and how quickly you take them. And so the challenge they faced was that, again, like, you know, consistency here, they had data in uh, loads of different places. And so what was what that resulted in is it, it was very, very difficult and time-consuming to kind of locate data when they needed it. So, for example, if an officer pulled someone over in a car because they were driving erratically, the process to kind of identify that car through its registration plate identify that person via their ID, all took quite a long time. It involved calls back. It was reasonably, uh, you know, it, it, it was process heavy and it didn't happen instantly. And so for them, CDP provided a couple of really, really huge opportunities for them. So the first one was, again, to centralize every single piece of data that they collect into a single data lake or a data hub. And so if you just think about the kind of the sheer volume of data that officers will collect, whether that be from uh, individuals, whether that be for, through like um, uh, forensics on, uh, you know, uh, mobile phones, laptop computers, all of this stuff, all of this data was then pulled into this single place. And once they did that, they were then able to sort and validate that data and then they were able to provide their officers with a way of instantly accessing it. So when they're in the field, giving them the devices so that they could get to that data, they could interrogate it, and they could pull the information that they needed in seconds rather than minutes, and in some case, several minutes. Um, and so a huge change, right? Like all of a sudden from an officer being able to do something instantly, make instant decisions, provide a better service back to the public. The second part to it was that they, when uh, someone calls 999, uh, you know, to report an emergency, uh, previously, the way that they would figure out how to assign an officer to or that first response, 
was very, very manual. Uh, there was no automation to it. And so they also used the platform as a way of tracking where their offices were, meaning that when a 999 call came in, they were able to instantly understand who was the nearest officer and get them to, to go to that scene. So really, really kind of powerful use case, especially from a public facing body that's there to deliver a service back to the general population as well as protect them. And so CDP for them was was what enabled them to do all of those things or both of those things. How important is it, though, in the context of this sort of example, to understand the ethical implications of data and how they manage their data sets? Yes, so very. And in fact, in another kind of policing first, um, this force actually set up a data ethics committee. And that was an independent body. And that committee was there really to do two things. So the first thing was that they were there to kind of monitor their machine learning and automation stuff. So basically make sure that data scientists were building models and using models that didn't have bias programmed into them, right? So uh, a, a super interesting concept that many organizations are starting to think about as they kind of, if they, uh, you know, to use the pyramid, you know, example again, as they get towards the top of the, the pyramid. But then the second, the second part was that from a broader perspective, making sure that they were using the data that they were collecting and the analytics that they were doing to put the public or the service at the heart of that and make sure they were doing the right things with it. And so they they had this separate independent data and ethics committee that once they deployed the platform, they stood up to help guide them as they then go through additional use cases, as they start to think about more and more things they can do with the platform to as I said, deliver that service back to the public, but also, you know, which ultimately includes protecting them and making sure the bad guys are taken off the streets and uh, and put into jail where they belong. Really thoughtful approach there. And that's critical in terms of making sure this kind of data is used ethically, especially in that kind of context. So I'm hearing a lot of similar motifs as you tell these stories, unifying disparate data, improving service levels. So to wrap up here, you know, you think of trucking, pharmaceuticals, policing, all very different sectors. But what do you see as the common theme across all these examples in terms of main takeaways for organizations? Yeah, there's there's a couple. The first one is data silos. And I think we've, we've covered that right, that, you know, being able to pull your data into a single place is important imperative for being able to kind of really start to derive value from that data. And so you need a platform that allows you to do that, uh, and including if you need to do that across on-prem and public cloud. As I said earlier, that's where a lot of organizations are going to have these data sets and workloads residing. But this, the second thing is really that through those use cases that I talked about, they all involve multiple parts of what we call the data lifecycle. So whether you're streaming data, you're pulling data in, you're, you're putting it into a data warehouse and then you're visualizing it out, or whether you're bringing your data into a central location, you're using uh, data engineering, and then you're using machine learning on top of it to start to do some predictive modeling, they all require multiple parts of that lifecycle. And um, what happens is if you, you, if you build something that does that out, you know, as individual components, uh, organizations end up spending quite a lot of time having to integrate them together. Security and governance becomes a headache because uh, you've got to figure out how I get these things to work together, that even though they're using completely different security and governance processes and tools. And so the real value of CDP is that we can not only deliver those end-to-end use cases, but we can deliver them in a completely secured and governed way. And that would be the thing that I would say 
as well as the data silos piece that ties those three use cases together, but also so many other use cases that we see customers delivering, using the platform to deliver this end-to-end business value. I think we both have similar experiences in terms of working with enterprises across so many sectors. And it feels like you have the same view of it that I do, which is at this level, their challenges, their opportunities are more the same than they are different. Yeah. And there's, you know, one of the most interesting things that um, that we do is that when I go to talk to a, a you know, a pharmaceutical company, Actually, there's so much to be learned from what other industries are doing and how they're using data analytics. It's sometimes it's really easy just to look at your own industry, like what are my peers doing? How do I be competitive? What's the next service I can deliver? But actually taking some, some stories or using some experiences learned from other completely separate industries can sometimes have a really profound impact as it, it kind of opens up and unlocks doors of ideas of, of the kinds of things you can do with data. But yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting, uh, not phenomenon, but experience when, as I mentioned, you know, folks like you and I can, can work across all these different industries. Well, anyway, Paul, it's always great to have you on the show. Thanks for coming back and joining us again. My pleasure. Thank you very much. So everyone, join us next time for the final episode in this series when we speak with Mick Hollison, president of Cloudera, to discuss how companies can build on cloud's momentum for the long term and why going all in on digital is the difference between surviving and thriving. Until then, this is Scott Taylor, the Data Whisperer. And for the folks at EM360 and Cloudera, thanks for listening.